title of my message this morning is I Predict. I Predict. Now, I know some of you are Old Testament scholars, and you know that whenever a man makes prophecies in the Old Testament, if they don't come true, he is stoned to death. I saw some of you coming in, carrying little bags of rocks in your pocket. Some of you dear ladies had your stones in your purse. Others of you have been warming up your arm because you believe I might make a prediction that will not come true. And you can throw these things at me. Well, I want you to know, first of all, I've been practicing dodging and weaving. Moving targets are hard to hit. But secondly, what I predict, I predict with absolute certainty with confidence. Okay? There's nothing that I will say that I will be any more certain of or confident of this year than what I'm going to share with you this morning. Matthew chapter 13. Verses 10 through 12, Jesus speaking to the disciples of his day, speaking to the disciples that are here today. And he's talking about his style of teaching and the latter days of his ministry. The master teacher is talking about the technique of teaching that he's employing as he heads to the cross. And the disciples came and spoke to Jesus. Verse 10, Matthew 13. Why do you teach us? Why do you share with us truth and parables? And Jesus answered the disciples and said, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. It is given unto you to know the mysterious dark things concerning what lies ahead, but not to the others it is given. Whosoever has to him shall be given, and he shall be given more, in fact. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even what he has. Therefore, verse 13, I speak in parables. Because they that cannot see, and they that cannot hear, and they that cannot want to understand, will never know. Today is the first day of a new year. Already the pollsters, the predictors, the pronosticators, the so-called prophets are out in force telling us what 2017 is going to be like, what we can expect the next 12 months. Now, some of them are very optimistic people. I call them the Gloasters. And they're telling us all is well for 2017. Happy days are here again. Let the party begin. Now, They're optimistic. But on the other end of the spectrum are the pessimistic predictors. I call them the gloomsters. 
And they're saying that 2017 is not going to be well. It is going to be hell. Gloom, despair, and agony on all of us is what lies ahead. Turn out the lights. The party's over. Gloasters, gloomsters. Who's right? I don't know. Don't you smile at me. You don't know either. And they don't know either. They're just making guesses. Only God knows the future. And all that we can know about the future comes from what God has already said. Because he has said, we can say. Because he says with authority and with truth, we can say with confidence and certainty. And that's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to make predictions. But I'm not too smart of a guy, I'll let you know that. My predictions really are his teachings. And because he has said, I can say to you. Now, a little background about Matthew 13. In Matthew 13, Jesus tells seven stories. The master teacher was a storyteller. And in Matthew 13, he is going to tell seven stories. These stories are called parables. Parables, simply said, are earthly stories with heavenly meanings. Now, Jesus started talking in parables in the last months of his ministry because he wanted those who were seekers of the truth, who really wanted to know the truth, to have the truth. At the same time, he wanted to deny the truth from the skeptics and scoffers who did not care for the truth. Okay? Do you understand that? And it's still true today, by the way. If you come to church, if you come to a worship service, if you come to a Sunday school classroom, if you come to a discipleship class, if you come to a small group, and your mindset and heart set is, Lord, I want to learn the truth. I want to learn something new. I want to learn something fresh. I want to learn something that will make a difference in my life and somebody else's life for all eternity. Lord, put the light on and teach me. He'll put the light on you and teach you. But if your attitude is just the opposite, Lord, I'm going to come and sit in that worship service like this. I'm going to go to Sunday school and sit like this. I'm going to go to my small group. I'm going to go to my discipleship class. I'm just going to fold up my arms and put a little chip on my shoulder. And Lord, teach me something I don't already know. Or Lord, I don't care to know anymore. If you want to be in the dark, he'll keep you in the dark. Jesus taught in parables so that those who were seekers could know the truth and those who were skeptics would never know it at all. Now, every parable that Jesus taught had one central meaning. It employed many different characters or actors, if you will, but every parable had one centralized meaning that he was trying to communicate. 
And this will be the basis for my prediction. Prediction number one, found in verses 3 through 8 of the first story that Jesus is going to tell in Matthew 13. Prediction number one, I can say with confidence and I can say with certainty, is this. We can expect people in 2017 to reject the gospel. Would you agree? Shake your head. That's a pretty, pretty good prediction, isn't it? Verses 3 through 8. The story that Jesus told, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed some seeds, those seeds fell by the wayside, and the birds came and eat them up. Other seed fell upon stony places where there was not much dirt, much soil. And when they tried to spring up, there was no deepness or depth of earth for them to take root. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Then some of the seeds fell among thorns, verse 7. But the thorns also sprung up and choked off the seed and the little plants that were coming forth. But the other seed fell on good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Now Jesus was a master teacher. He told simple stories to communicate profound truth. The story is pretty simple. A farmer is going to plant his field. The, par- the farmer has a bag of seed on his shoulder. And everywhere the farmer goes, he scatters the seed. He's planting his field. Now, the farmer's throwing the seed, and the seed is falling on four different types of soil that we just read about. There's the wayside soil. And this is the soil where the seed just lies on the ground. It it doesn't go anywhere. And the birds come and they eat that seed. Then there's the hard ground soil. And the seed falls on the hard ground and it just lies there too. And the sun comes up and it scorches the seed. And the seed dies. And then there's the weedy soil. This is soil that's filled with thorns and, and other things that that will hinder the growth of the seed. And the seed falls into the weeds, it falls into the the thorns, and, and they suffocate the little seed and the plant that will come from it. On three of those soils, nothing occurs. The the seed was planted. It's not the fault of the farmer. He planted the seed. It's not the fault of the seed. The seed was good seed. But it just fell on three different soils where it effectively took no effect. But there was a good soil, and when the seed fell on that good soil, it began to grow and to develop and to mature and become a plant, and later it would bear fruit, much fruit. That's an easy story, isn't it? Let me tell you what the story means. The sower is anyone who shares the gospel. It could be Jesus, he shared the gospel, but it could be you and I, anyone who shares the gospel, anyone who tells others about the death and the burial and the resurrection 
and the second coming of Jesus. The seed is the gospel itself. The sower is those who sow the gospel. The seed is the gospel. And the ground, those grounds that I just talked to you about, the wayside ground, the hard ground, the weedy ground, the good ground, that's people's response to the gospel when it's presented. And what Jesus is saying is when we go out to present the gospel, whether we be do it verbally or with a track, don't be surprised if most people tell you, no, I'm not interested. I'm not interested in your gospel. I'm not interested in your Jesus. I'm not interested in your church and ministry. I'm not interested in living a righteous, holy life. I'm not even interested in going to heaven. Thank you, but no thank you. Go away. Why do they do that? Well, some of them are just ignorant. They don't know. Others are indifferent. They don't care. And others of them love iniquity more than they would love salvation. Jesus said to those of his day, and I predict to you today, that as we share the gospel in 2017, most people that we share it with are going to reject it. They don't want it. Some will be nice, some will be not so nice, some will be very blunt, and others will be not so blunt. But the bottom line is, we don't want it. That's what it's going to be. In fact, if you go by Jesus' story, 75% of people who hear the gospel are going to say, no, we don't want it. So in 2017, what can we expect? When we share the gospel individually or collectively, most people are going to say no. Don't let it surprise you. Don't be disappointed. It's just a fact. Prediction number two, found in verses 24 through 30. Jesus tells another story. He says, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. And while this man slept, the enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and then disappeared. When the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the weeds also, or the tares. The servants of the householder came and said to him, Sir, where did all this bad seed come from? Where, where did all these tares come from? You used only good seed to make a, 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 a crop of wheat. What, what has happened? What has happened? Verse 28, and he says to them, The enemy has done this. The servant said to him, What shall we do? Should we go into the field and start pulling up all of the weeds? The man says in verse 29, no, don't do that. 
Because if you go and pull up the weeds, you'll pull up the wheat with it. And then the whole field will be messed up. Verse 30, let them grow both together until the day of harvest. And in that time, I will say to those who do the harvest, the reapers, gather first the tares and put them in bundles and burn them. And then gather the wheat that remains and put them in my barn. I predict in 2017 that we can expect our church and all churches to be filled with people who love the Lord Jesus Christ who are saved and people who are not saved. Does that shock you? Does that shock you that in any given church there is going to be people who love the Lord, who are genuinely saved and living for Him? And there's going to be people who are not saved, who do not love the Lord, and who do not live for Him. But yet they sit all together in what we call the church. You see, in the story, the man went out and he put good seed into the field. He wanted to produce a wheat harvest. His enemy came at night when he was in bed and brought tares. Tares are a, a weed. And his enemy the, sows all of the weed seeds. Along with the wheat seeds that were planted in the day, the weed seeds are planted in the evening. And they start growing. And there's a massive confusion how could this be? Because wheat and weeds look very similar in the early stages of growth. You can't tell the difference. But once it gets ready to almost to begin to produce, you can see the difference. And the, and the servants say, listen, maybe we need to go to the field and pull up the weeds. And the man says, no, if you go pull up the weeds, you might pull up the wheat. And then instead of having... Some crop will have no crop. Just wait to the end. And when we do the reaping, the reapers will figure it all out. Now think about this. Who's the enemy? Satan. The crop, the field that was planted is the church. The weeds, the tares, are those who sit in God's church who are unsaved. They've never been born again. They might be good people, ethical people, moral people, religious people, but they've never met Jesus. And then also sitting in God's church are saved people. Those who recognized they were sinners and needed a Savior and invited that Savior to come into their life by faith and in repentance of sin and they were born again. You see, in any given church, you're going to have both, is what Jesus is teaching. Some are going to be saved, others are going to be lost. You see, the devil found out years ago it's better to join the church than to fight the church. Just come be part of it. And so, therefore, the church has become a mixture of wheat and tares. It's not our job to figure out who's who. Okay? It's not my job to figure out if you're a wheat or a weed. It's not your job to figure out if somebody else is a wheat or a weed. 
It is your job to make sure you're not a weed. That you're the real deal. God will figure it out at Judgment Day. And he knows the difference. As Keith said earlier, he looks into the heart. So should it surprise us that there's hypocrites in the church? No. I'd be shocked if there weren't. Should it shock us that there's hypocrites in the pews or in the pulpit? No, they're there. Because the wheat and the tares have all been mixed together. Again, it's not our job to figure out who's who. God will do that. It's our job to make sure we're not a weed, that we're wheat. Prediction number three. Number one, people are going to reject the gospel. That's a pretty safe prediction, I think. Some church members are going to be lost. That's a pretty safe prediction, I believe. Hopefully not here, but it, it's true of most churches. And then the third prediction I make is not only will there be hypocrites in the pews, weeds, if you will, that have been sowed in with the wheat, those who are unsaved with the saved, but I predict number three, that sinister ministers are going to come into God's pulpit of his church and preach weird things. Say, Pastor, where do you get that from? I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 31 and 32. Another story by Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is likened to unto a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is the greatest among the herbs or the bushes. But this particular mustard seed became a tree, interesting, so that the birds of the air, and that word birds comes from a word that actually could translate buzzards. So that filthy buzzards of the air can come and lodge in the branches thereof. All right, story again. Jesus said a man had a mustard seed. A mustard seed is the tiniest seed. And the man planted the mustard seed. The mustard seed normally grows to be a bush, like that. A bush. But this particular mustard seed that was planted did not become a bush. It became a what? Help me out. A tree. A mustard seed does not become a tree. It becomes a bush. What happened to this mustard seed? What happened to it? Something happened to, to it to cause it to be deviant, to cause it to be mutant, to cause it to be corrupt. The mustard seed is a picture of the church. The tree is a picture of a church that has become deviant, mutated, corrupt, so much in fact that the buzzards come and sit on its limb.
What is Jesus saying? The church is going to become more and more a roosting place for seducing spirits and doctrines of devils taught by buzzards sitting on the limbs of its branches. I want you to listen to me very carefully right now. Because I want you to know the buzzards are everywhere. They're in churches, they're on the radio, and they're on television. These buzzards are smart. They know how to use buzzwords to deceive the people of God into listening to them and supporting them and serving them. They're smart. Now, none of these false teachers or sinister ministers teach doctrine. Doctrine is the great truths of the Bible. Doctrine is what protects us from being deceived. So it only stands to reason if I'm going to deceive you, I'm going to take you away from the Bible. Does that make sense to you? If this book is truth, and I want to teach you untruth, then I'm going to take you away from this book. I'm going to do it cleverly. I'm going to do it smartly. I'm going to do it subtly. But I'm going to take the great truths of this Bible away from you so I can give you my truths. That's why sinister ministers do not open the Bible and teach it in any systematic way. They spout off a few verses here and there to propagate what they want you to believe. Most of them call doctrine difficult. We don't teach the Bible because God's people are too stupid to understand it. That's what they're saying. It's too divisive. It causes problems. It's dinosauric. It doesn't fit our new age. In fact, one TV evangelist called it doo-doo. Manure, that's all it is. All this stuff that comes out of the Bible, that's what it is. See, they, they downplay the Bible while they use the Bible. They often use another word that you've got to be careful about is anointed. A lot of these TV preachers are always talking about, I'm anointed, she's anointed, he's anointed. That word anointed is to catch you off guard. It's to say, listen, you don't have to use your Bible to check me out because I'm anointed. Everything I say is true because I'm from God. That's what that word anointed is implying. You don't have to check the Bible. You don't have to read your Bible. You don't have to understand your Bible. You can trust me because I'm anointed. You've heard me say many times, I love you and I'll always try to tell you the truth. But if you're a smart person, you'll bring your Bible to every service and you'll follow in your Bible what I preach. You'll take your Bible to Sunday school and you'll follow what that teacher's teaching in Sunday school. You'll bring your Bible to your small group. You'll bring your Bible to your discipleship class. You'll check a man or woman of God by the Word of God. And that word anointed 
just a fancy word that you don't have a right to check me out. And then you often hear another word, seed offering. You watch any TV program long enough, and I tell you in the first 15 seconds you're going to hear that word. And you'll hear it 9,000 times before the show's off the air. All, all seed offering is, listen to your pastor, is a religious bonzi scheme to get your money out of your pocket and into that evangelist's pocket. I'm telling you, it's nothing but a bonzi scheme to get your money out of your pockets into the hands of those who want your money for their own agenda. Seed offerings. And when it doesn't work, who's, it th who's the problem? You are. You didn't have enough faith. You didn't send us enough money. That's why it didn't work. See, they always have an out. Because it isn't going to work. Another word is prophetic word. You often hear that. Prophetic word. Oh, God's speaking to me. They'll stop. Prophetic word. I'm so special to God that he tells me things that you knuckleheads can't know. And I'm going to tell you what it is, because I'm a big deal and you're not. Listen to your pastor, there is no new revelation. Anybody who tells you they're getting new revelation from God is a liar. This book has it all. Everything God wants us to know, he's put into this Bible. This book is the truth, nothing else. I predict, as Jesus foretold, that there's going to be a lot of deviant, mutated, corrupt churches filled with sinister ministers, buzzards sitting on the limbs, propagating false doctrines to people who don't know any better. And when you stand before Jesus, you can't look at him and say, I got fooled. That's not going to fly. Because you had what? This. Prediction number four. Prediction number one, the gospel will be rejected. Not by all, but by most. Prediction number two, some church members will be lost. They might be nice people, have their churchianity and religiosity, but they've never met Jesus and they're lost. They're the weeds among the wheat, the tares among the wheat. Thirdly, sinister ministers, I predict, are going to invade the pulpits of the church and take it over in many cases and preach their weird, strange doctrines to people who don't know any better. Prediction number four, found in verse 33. Because we have unsaved people sitting in the pews, because we have false teachers in the pulpits, prediction number four is sin is going to abound in the church. Look at verse 33. The kingdom of heaven is likened unto leaven, leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. Simple story. Jesus now is talking about a woman who's making some bread. You ladies know this far better than we men, but... She had her dough, and she's kneading it, I guess is the word, and working, her, working in it. And she put some yeast in there. She put some leaven in her bread because leaven or yeast, when it's 
put into dough at lukewarm, uh, lukewarm temperature, it causes the bread to do what? To rise, to expand. And she uses three measures of yeast to put into this dough to cause it to rise and to expand. And it's pretty soon the yeast or the leaven affects the whole loaf. Started out putting just a little bit in, then it spreads and affects the whole loaf. Now, Jesus is teaching something. The bread is the church. Okay? The leaven that is mixed into the church is sin. Everywhere in the Bible that you read about leaven or yeast, it's always symbolic of sin. Always. And this particular woman who is putting the sin into the dough of the church puts three types of yeast or three measures of yeast into it. Now you might say, well, pastor, what, what, would, what would those three sins be? What would this three leavens or yeast be? that she's putting into the bread that will affect the whole dough. Well, Jesus in Matthew 16, 11 tells us what they are. He talks about the leaven of the Pharisees, the leaven of the Sadducees, and the leaven of the Herodians. That's the three measures of sin that will be brought into the church and so mixed into the church that it will be hard sometimes to figure it all out. What was the leaven of the Pharisees? What is sin is this? It's the sin of legalism. Taking away a relationship with Jesus Christ to making a religion of laws, do's and don'ts, have this and have nots this. You know, many churches today, they're nothing but a, 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 an organization of rules. And you measure their spirituality by those who do this or don't do that. And most of the time, what you're supposed to do or don't do is, is determined by the preacher. He's very subjective. Legalism. It's not about a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's about our little rules. And you better follow our rules or you can't be one of us. What was the leaven of the Sadducees? Liberalism. A rejection of the living word, Jesus Christ, and a rejection of the written word, the Holy Scriptures. And Jesus says the church in the last days is not only going to be filled with rules, not relationship, but it's going to be filled with the absolute rejection of Jesus Christ in the Bible. That's why in Revelation chapter 3, the church at Laodicea, Jesus is outside the door of the church knocking. Can he come in? Can you imagine that, having church without Jesus? Thank you, Jesus. We don't need you. We can have church without you. Stay outside. Having church without a Bible. Many places it happens. Then the leaven of the Herodians. The Herodians were people who made politics their religion of that day. They followed Herod. And they were known for their licentiousness. They were known for their love of sin. 
The Herodians were drinkers, they were gamblers, they were cursers, they were skirt chasers. They were drug users. They were sorcerers. Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? The church is going to be mixed up with all this stuff because of men that teach it behind pulpits and people that sit in pews who are lost and don't know the difference and could care less about it. That's why when you go to churches today, you see people in the congregation who drink their alcohol and get drunk, who gamble, who cuss and fuss and fight over everything, who sleep around with every Tom, Dick, and Harry or Mary, Jane, and Sue. The word holiness has got lost in the church. It's not used anymore. We're not supposed to judge anybody. No wonder the church is in the shape it's in. And Jesus said, don't be surprised that sin will be in the church in the last days. It will come from out there in here. And it will be accepted, endorsed, even told it's okay. Prediction number five. The world is going to hate the church. The world is going to hate the church. Look at verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a treasure that was hid in the field, the which a man hath found, and he hideth it, and for joy thereforth goeth, sells all he has, and he buys the field. Okay? Boy, Jesus is covering all the bases, isn't he? He's going from a farmer to a baker. Now he's going to a treasure hunter. <laughs> and a treasure hunter's out looking for treasure, and he finds in a particular field a treasure. He digs up the treasure. He finds great joy in that treasure. But he determines that he needs to bury the treasure until he can purchase the whole field. Because if he digs up the treasure and tries to claim the treasure is own, but he doesn't own the field, then the owner of the field is going to take it from him. So he reburies the treasure until he can have the owner sell him the field. Now the treasure that is being spoken of here is the gospel truth. The prophets in the Old Testament, they dug up the gospel truth. But they didn't understand it. The prophets of the Old Testament had parts of it figured out, but they couldn't figure out all of it. They couldn't understand the death, burial, resurrection, and second coming of the Messiah. They couldn't figure it out. They were good men. They were godly men, but they couldn't figure it out. And because they couldn't figure it out, they put the treasure back in the ground till they could. Then along came Jesus in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Jesus dug the treasure up and he presented the treasure to the Jews, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. 
And what did they think about the treasure, which was the gospel? They didn't want to hear it. So the treasure was reburied again. The prophets didn't understand it. The Jews rejected it. And then comes the book of Acts. And God decides to take the gospel from the Jewish people and the nation of Israel alone to the Gentile people and to the whole world. The Great Commission. And what did we do with the gospel? What did we do with it? We rejected it too. So the treasure that was found that brought, that brought the Lord great joy was buried by the prophets. They didn't understand it. Was rejected by the Jews and buried again and rejected by the Gentiles and buried again. You see, this world has never wanted the gospel. And it never will want it. What does that say? I know many of us and are very attuned to politics, and I know that. I listen to you as your pastor. But I want you to be, have, listen to me very carefully. If you think one party is more godly than the other, you've been deceived. If you think one brand of politics is more friendly to you than the other, you've been deceived. Because the Republicans and the Democrats, they don't have any use for you and I in the church until Election Day. And then we're forgotten. And whether it be conservative or liberalism, neither of them have any use for us either unless they can get something out of us. Satan works both sides of the aisle to carry out his agenda. Never forget that. The government is no friend of Jesus Christ, nor shall it ever be. And we can expect in the days to come, the church is going to face persecution, taxation, litigation, regulation, intimidation is going to come against the church. And we might be surprised who it comes from. So keep your eyes on Jesus and not on a party. And keep your eyes on the Word of God, not a brand of politics. Don't be duped by the deceivers of this world. Prediction number six of the seven. Some of you are saying, I wish he'd say something where I could throw a rock at him. <laughs> People are going to reject the gospel. Some church members are going to be lost. Sinister ministers are going to stand behind pulpits and preach weird and strange doctrines. Sin is going to come into the church and take over the church in some places. The world is going to hate the church. They're not going to want the treasure that was found buried and brought such joy. Prediction number 6, verse 45 and 46 I predict people are going to get saved in 2017. 
The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he has found one pearl of a great price, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Here's a businessman. He's traveling the world looking for priceless treasures, and he finds a pearl, a pearl of such beauty, a pearl that just moves his heart that he falls in love with that pearl, and he says, I'm going to buy that pearl no matter what it takes to get it, even if it takes everything I am, I have, and I do. I'm getting that pearl. Now that man, the merchant's the Lord Jesus. The pearls are you and I. And the price that he's going to pay that he can have us is right there. Isn't, didn't that cost him everything? That, was, that wasn't a halfway measure, ladies and gentlemen. That was everything. Jesus died because he loves us. You know, a lot of people have a very bad self-image of themselves. They look in the mirror and say, I'm a loser. I'm a nothing. I'm a nobody. And maybe they think that way because somebody told them that. I want you to know this. You listen to your pastor today. God loves you. Nobody else may love you, but God loves you. God loves you so much that he saw you had a problem with sin, and he did not want you to perish with that sin. God loves you so much that he took the crown prince of heaven, Jesus Christ, and sent him into this world to become a man, that he who knew no sin could take our sin upon himself and legally and justifiably go to a cross and pay for our sin in full, that God in his love could say to you and to I, because your sin has been paid for by Jesus, I can have a relationship with you. Jesus died for us because he loved us. God loves us. That's why he sent Jesus to die for us. People are precious to the Lord. And if you don't go to heaven, you have no one to blame but you. Because you have to kick the love of a father aside. You have to kick the love of Jesus Christ aside. You have to kick the Holy Spirit aside to perish. You've got to work hard to go to hell. Because there's a God in heaven who loves you and he paid the ultimate price that you don't have. And lastly, in closing, I predict lastly, number seven, verses 47 through 50. We can expect God to one day judge the world. I predict that we can expect God one day to judge the world. The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a net, verse 47, that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind. And when that net was full of fish, they drew the, the net to the shore, and the fishermen sat down, and they gathered the good ones into vessels and cast the bad ones away. So shall it be at the end of the world, verse 49. The angels shall come forth and separate the wicked from the just, and the wicked shall be cast into the furnace of fire, where there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Jesus' last story talks about a fisherman who goes out and fishes. He gets, catches hundreds of fish in his big net. He takes the net back to the shore, and then he has his partners in the fishing ministry with him 
go through the fish. The junk fish that have no value to eat or any other value, they're tossed aside. The good fish that have value to be eaten or value in some other way are tossed to another side. They're put in vessels for market. What does all this mean? Well, the man, the fisherman who caught the fish is the Lord. And the fish are the people. The ocean's the world. And one day, the Lord Jesus is going to gather all the people of the world. And he's going to make judgment. He knows the good ones. He knows the bad ones. He knows those that are born again. He knows those who are fakers and pretenders. He knows those who have lived for him. He knows those who have played around with him. And on that day, he will send some to heaven and others to hell. The point of it is, God knows who's real. God knows if you're real, and God knows if I'm real, and he knows if we're not. One day, the truth will be known. So what does all these predictions mean for us? People are going to reject the gospel. Some church members will be lost. Sinister ministers will invade the pulpit. Sin will abound in the church. The world is going to persecute and hate the church, just as it always has. People are going to get saved. Thank God for that. And Jesus is going to be the final judge over it all one day. What should that mean to us? Just simply one thing. Make sure you're the real deal. I told you in the beginning, don't you worry about the people in front of you or the people behind you or the people to the left or right of you. Don't worry about those who might be overhead or those who might be under you. You better put the focus on you and ask yourself the question, are you real? Are you genuine? And if you're not, what are you waiting for? Because it don't matter if you fool the pastor. You can fool me, and I can fool you. But we're not going to fool him. We're not going to fool him. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.